Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. Sanders Facts, what is going on, y'all? Welcome into the latest edition of the Xander's Facts Podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. We are rolling on episode 41 of the podcast here on Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. Thank you all for listening to the Xander's Facts Podcast. And remember, if you want to support the facts because you like the facts or you think you're going to like the facts on this podcast, remember, click that follow button, the download button, rate button, review button, do all those, and then go on all your social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Xander's Facts, Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends to listen to the podcast, spread the facts, Xander's Facts Podcast. We've got a big podcast this week on the week before Thanksgiving here in the U.S. We've got two big topics to get into. What we're going to get into in a little bit is the economy, jobs, wages, inflation, Gas prices, oh my gosh, it's happening. People are whining all over the place about things they probably shouldn't be whining about. Like, oh my gosh, Joe Biden, how could you do this to me? Makes me angry. Because we're going to get into it. We're going to get into the facts of what you need to know about everything that's going on. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, we've got a big topic in the sporting world to talk about. Because Friday night, There was a big soccer match. I don't know if you all watched. No. But I did. And I was pleasantly surprised by what I saw. It wasn't just any soccer match for Xander's Facts. It was the U.S., the United States men's national team. Xander's team. Xander's country. Big match they had on Friday night against Mexico. And I kind of alluded to this last week. At the end of the podcast, I kind of was like, U.S. is playing some more World Cup qualifiers, and they got a big match against Mexico Friday night. You might want to watch. Well, Xander watched, and I'm here to break it all down because the U.S. is on a roll. Just to give you a little spoiler. Here we go! It was Friday night that the U.S. and Mexico faced off once again. Let's get down into it here on Xander's Facts because this was the third match between the two countries This calendar year, in 2021, that hasn't happened since 2009. And the U.S. won the first two matches this year. Remember, we talked about it on this podcast back in June. The Nations League final in Denver, they beat Mexico. And then in the Gold Cup final in August in Las Vegas, they beat Mexico. But now, this is the third time they're facing Mexico. And it was in the U.S. as well. But since the U.S. won the first two matches... They were looking to become the first team in the rivalry since Mexico in 1937 to beat a team in this rivalry three times in a calendar year. How about that? Well, would the U.S. do it? Well, let's find out because the match was taking place in Cincinnati in the U.S. with a rare pro-U.S. crowd because actually, if you didn't know, the most popular soccer team in the United States is the Mexican national team. It's not the U.S. national team. And you saw that when you saw the Nations League final and the Gold Cup final when they were played in Denver and Las Vegas. Those were very pro-Mexico crowds. But the U.S. Soccer Federation intentionally put this game in Cincinnati so that 
the U.S. would have a crowd that favored them. So that's what happened. So, what happened in the match? Well, for most of the first half, things looked pretty evenly matched between the two sides. In the early going, both sides got a couple offensive runs, and it actually looked like Mexico got closer to opening up the scoring. However, at the half, the Americans held the possession advantage with 55%, and as the game was progressing, you could tell that the young U.S. side was clearly finding their rhythm, and by the end of the half, the U.S. had 90 touches in the final third of the pitch that was compared to Mexico's 48. And remember, as I say young, the average age of the U.S. starters in this match was 23 years old. That includes two 18-year-olds who were starting, and Mexico's average age of their starters in this game was 28.6 years old. So the U.S. was, on average, five years younger than Mexico. And when the second half began, you could immediately tell that the younger squad had more energy. The U.S. came out firing to begin the second half, and they kept pressuring Mexico's defenders throughout the first 20 minutes of the second half. In those 20 minutes, the U.S. had three legitimate scoring chances. In the 49th minute, forward Timothy Way found midfielder Weston McKinney, but he couldn't get it to go. One of those 18-year-olds, striker Ricardo Pepe, who chose to play for the U.S. over Mexico earlier this year because he could have played for either, but he chose the U.S. He had a chance in the 54th minute, and then Way created another chance, this time for 21-year-old winger Brendan Aronson in the 58th minute, but none of those went. But it was clear the U.S. had the momentum. They just couldn't capitalize until the 69th minute. Nice. When U.S. manager Greg Berhalter decided to make a substitution, bringing on Captain America himself, Christian Pulisic, who you're like, Xander, why was he not starting? He's their best player. Well, he wasn't starting because he is recovering from an ankle injury that he suffered against Honduras earlier in World Cup qualifying in September. He's played like 20 minutes for Chelsea since then, his club team over in England. So now he's finally getting back on the pitch for the U.S. since that injury happened in September. And when he came on, he immediately provided the boost that the U.S. needed to capitalize. Five minutes after Pulisic came in, in the 74th minute, Ricardo Pepe received a ball in the center of the final third, laid it back to another 18-year-older, midfield Eunice Musa, who found Way running up the right side. Way drove to the end line, curled a nice cross into the box with Pulisic racing in from the left side, finding the ball in the air in the center of the box and burying a header from four yards out, giving the U.S. the lead, opening up the scoring at 1-0 in the 74th minute in front of a pro-U.S. crowd over Mexico, and it gave Christian Pulisic his first goal for the national team in from the run of play since the 2019 Gold Cup semifinals. It's true! Remember, he scored that penalty kick against Mexico back in the Nations League final, but that wasn't during the run of play. This was. So, that's kind of a big deal. Also, right after Pulisic scored for his celebration, he lifted up his jersey to reveal his undershirt, which had some writing on it that said, quote, man in the mirror, unquote. Now, of course, those are the lyrics to a famous Michael Jackson song, but it was also a dig at Mexico's goalkeeper, Guillermo Ochoa, who earlier in the week commented that Mexico was, quote, the mirror in which the United States wants to see itself, unquote. Basically saying, 
You've been us twice, but you're still the little brother. Well, the U.S. didn't like that. And Pulisic and his teammates said, we're going to do something about that. So, a couple of Pulisic's teammates got an equipment manager to write the words on Pulisic's shirt, and then luckily enough, he comes in in the 69th minute, five minutes later, scores the goal so he can lift up the shirt and show everyone. I mean, how about that? Like, he had the confidence to know that was going to happen. And that also, the crowd also knew that. So that basically led to the perennial booing of Ochoa all night long every time he touched the ball. Like, the crowd was not having it with that man. That's cool. But the game wasn't over after that shot. Mexico got a couple chances afterward, but the U.S. defense was pretty stout all night long, and they held up each time. And to put the match out of reach, it was Weston McKinney who broke through the Mexican backline and put the ball out of Ochoa's reach, the goalkeeper, to extend the U.S. lead to two goals in the 85th minute. So it turns out, the third time the U.S. played Mexico this year ended up with the same result as the first two. And with the win, the U.S. moved into first place in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying standings on goal differential as they had 14 points along with Mexico. Congratulations. At the moment, they had another game to play, which we're going to talk about in a second. Of course, this U.S.-Mexico game didn't come without its charades, because they all do. It's a fierce rivalry. In the 59th minute, U.S. defender Miles Robinson picked up a yellow card, and then he got another in the 89th minute, which gave him a red card and made him leave the game, which meant the U.S. had to have only 10 men on the pitch for the final few minutes. And because he got that red card, Robinson missed Tuesday's game at Jamaica. In the 69th minute, a skirmish broke out after Mexican defender Luis Rodriguez tackled Brendan Aronson and subsequently clawed at his face and poked him in the eyes, but the ref did not see the clawing of the face, so Rodriguez was only given a yellow, but the subsequent reactions by Weston McKinney and the U.S. goalkeeper Zach Steffen gave them yellow cards as well, and McKinney now has enough yellow cards accumulated throughout his games with the U.S. national team, so he was suspended for the match as well. Uh-oh. Of course, Rodriguez should have been given red, because you kind of can't do that to another player, claw at the face, but CONCACAF doesn't have VAR, which is Video Assistant Referee, for the World Cup qualifiers, because they say not all of the countries have the infrastructure for it, which, I mean, well, the U.S. does, so why can't the U.S., Mexico, Canada, the countries that do, why can't they? Like, the ref didn't see it, and it would have been a red if there was VAR, because it was clear, but the ref just didn't see it, and that's what happens when you only have three or four refs out there. They're not going to see everything. So, CONCACAF is rumored to be rectifying that stupid decision and planning to implement VAR by the next World Cup qualifying window in January, which would be better. But they should have had it in the first place because that was stupid. Even though the U.S. won that game, still. I mean, come on. True that. Anyways, Friday night seemed to mark another big step for the United States men's national team. And I think that the U.S. looked more dominant against Mexico in this match than they did in the previous two matches they had earlier this year. And this was without some of their top players, Giovanni Reina and Serginho Dest, who were out due to injuries. Of course, 
the first match they played that Nations League final was with the USA team. That Gold Cup final, they didn't have a bunch of their best players. It was like their B or C team. But I still think that this is the best that the U.S. has looked probably in any match this season. I mean, they... It was only 2-0, which, you know, like, oh, well, that's okay. But they dominated Mexico. And it wasn't really close, even though they didn't score until the 75th minute. It hasn't exactly been easy, though, for the U.S. throughout World Cup qualifiers. Pulisic and Reina have been injured. McKinney was suspended from the team at one point. This was previously, not now. And the U.S. lost the game to Panama that they should not have lost. But nevertheless, this team persisted and showed resiliency, which you love to see from a young team. And then on Tuesday night, the U.S. had the second game in the World Cup qualifying window. They went on the road to face Jamaica, where they then did that little road thing, and they drew Jamaica. Which, honestly, if you watch that game, they should have lost, because there were some calls in there that VAR would have overturned for the U.S. that went their way and shouldn't have gone their way. So, honestly, one point was pretty good there. But it puts the U.S. at 15 points right now in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying standings, which actually puts the U.S. in second place at the moment because Canada beat Mexico on Tuesday night as well. So Canada has 16 points, but the U.S. is in second place with 15, so that's still pretty good. And qualifying does not resume until January, when on the 27th, the U.S. plays El Salvador at home, and then heads up to face Canada on the road on the 30th, followed by a home match against Honduras on February 2nd. And then the U.S. wraps up qualifying with a road match in Mexico on March 24th, a home match against Panama on the 27th, and a game in Costa Rica on March 30th. However, the results against Mexico and Jamaica have put the U.S. in a prime position to qualify for the World Cup if they can win the games they need to and not lose silly games on the road. The U.S. just need to finish in the top three to qualify. With Mexico and Canada, they're also right now in the top three, and they're looking like the other candidates that are probably going to qualify, while Panama is actually not too far behind. So they may prove to be a spoiler candidate. We'll see. But that fourth team goes to that intercontinental playoff, so they also have a chance, but you kind of want to be in the top three because that means you're going. You don't have to play more games against other teams from other continents. So you want to get in the top three. And the U.S., right now, if they can win the games they need to, if they don't lose the silly games, they should be in prime position to qualify. Thank goodness. Unlike 2018, which was, as you all know, a disaster. And overall, it was another satisfying performance for this young American squad. Average age for the starters, 23 years old. We get it! I mean, that's pretty young. You're not going to see very many national teams with a squad that young, and the U.S. is really talented too. And it's just another reason to feel good about the future of U.S. soccer for the World Cup next year in Qatar. Who knows what's going to happen? And then As you all know, in five years' time, less than five years now, because we're past summer, the U.S. is hosting the World Cup along with Mexico and Canada. Home turf for the U.S. 
when all these players, Christian Pulisic, Giovanni Reina, Weston McKinney, all these players, Ricardo Pepe has turned into another player that we need to talk about because he's playing really well, and he's only 18 years old. These players are going to be in their primes in 2026 when the U.S. hosts the World Cup. It's going to be exciting. But we've still got a long way to go. So, who knows? But I just wanted to all let you know because you need to be watching your national team. Yeah, okay. Also, as we stick with soccer, there's some other news in the world of soccer. Let's stick with World Cup qualifying because a couple of teams around the world have actually clinched berths to next year's World Cup in Qatar already in Europe. There are a bunch of teams who know that they are already going to Qatar next year. Those countries include Germany, Denmark, France, Belgium, Croatia, Spain, Serbia, England, and Switzerland. And Brazil has also qualified, and Qatar, of course, is the host, so they've already qualified automatically. So a bunch of teams already know that they're going, and hopefully the U.S. is not too far behind, but we'll see. And another topic of discussion in soccer, particularly here in the U.S., is the Premier League, because the Premier League's TV rights deal in the United States is almost up. Currently, NBC holds all the rights to the Premier League matches in the U.S., but their contract ends at the conclusion of the current season. However, bidding for the next contract is already underway, and there are reportedly a bunch of bidders for the Premier League. Who? The Premier League has reportedly asked six of the bidders to submit additional bids in a second round of bidding. And according to Sports Business Journal, those six companies are ESPN, CBS, NBC, Fox, Warner Media, which is Turner, TNT, and Amazon. However, ESPN, CBS, and NBC are seen as the favorites, and it was also reported that CBS and ESPN are submitting a joint bid. So, if that one, that would see CBS and ESPN sharing the rights to the Premier League in the United States. So it appears likely that come next Premier League season, we're either going to see the matches remain on NBC here in the U.S., or they're going to be broadcast on CBS and ESPN. And final bids are expected on Thursday of this week. So we're probably going to find out pretty soon who's going to be broadcasting the Premier League in the United States come next fall. And by the way, guess who's at the top of the Premier League table currently? That's right, it's your boys, Xander's pick, Chelsea. They've got 26 points right now, and they're at the top of the table, and that's with missing a ton of Christian Pulisic. I mean, their best player, of course. No debate about Fight me. And then, Manchester City and West Ham United are not far behind, with both having 23 points. Liverpool has 22, and Arsenal rounds out the top five at 20. And Manchester United, remember, they got Ronaldo, and everybody was like, oh, Manchester United, they have 17. So they're not performing up to expectations right now. So they're not doing so well. So that's what I've got for soccer. Big news for the U.S. men's national team. You should be watching them, and if you're not, you're a bully. Sanders, facts. Maybe you're not a bully. Why would you do this to me? By the way, since we're on sports topic, remember to check out Xander's Facts on social media this week. I know I say it with my little plugs at the beginning, but check it out this week. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Xander's predictions this week for college football and the NFL are going to be on the Xander's Facts social media channels 
on Thursday morning of this week. So if you want to take a look at Xander's predictions, my predictions for football this week, go on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Thursday morning, they will be posted. And also on social media, take a look at Xander's college basketball games of the week which are up now for this week on social media, and those will be posted each week on Monday afternoons throughout the season so that you know which games to be watching in college basketball. And by the way, Virginia Tech, uh, they're doing pretty well. Uh, they're 3-0. They're and <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But that, of course, is basketball. And in football, Virginia Tech recently made a little switch. If you haven't heard, Tuesday morning, Virginia Tech announced that they have mutually parted ways with their head coach, Justin Fuente, after almost six years, which is kind of sad, but also you're like, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you're like, thank goodness, but I don't know, he seemed like to be a nice guy, he was a good representation of Virginia Tech, you know, we didn't have any off-the-field issues, it's just from the first few seasons to the last few seasons, on-the-field performance has not been there, so... Virginia Tech's making a change, and it'll be exciting to see who the next head coach of Virginia Tech is, but I just wanted to get that all out there for my Hokies. But that's all I've got for sports, and coming up, we've got the topic that some of you have been waiting for, and others are hating, because we're going to talk about the economy, because inflation's a big concern right now, gas prices are increasing, and people are whining. Should they be whining, and are they whining about the right things? We're going to be talking about that. Right here, as the Xander's Facts Podcast continues. Xander's Facts. Xander's Facts, welcome back everyone. We just talked about some sports, but now we're going to talk about some news and some politics and some economics. Because, as you may know... It's the economy, stupid. Really? And we're talking about the economy this week because in the recent elections that happened all over the country, which we detailed last week, if you want to go listen to that, education was a major issue. But another issue that was also very important to voters was the economy. And when you take a look at a bunch of economic statistics right now, it would appear that the economy is doing pretty well. First off, let's take a look at the stock market because it is at its highest levels right now in history. The Dow Jones Industrial Average hit 36,000 points for the first time ever this month, we're in November, and is up nearly 18% this year. The Nasdaq went over 16,000 points for the first time ever this month and is up 23% since January. And Xander's portfolio is doing better than ever. Thank you very much. And also... Taking a look at jobs, the October jobs report showed that 531,000 jobs had been created last month, which is larger than the estimated 450,000. After seeing some dips in the third quarter of this year, many economists agreed that the report was a positive and showed that the economy was getting back on track. And the report from the Labor Department had the unemployment rate at 4.6%, which is the lowest since March of 2020, and more than 2% lower than in January of this year. And the unemployment low before the pandemic was 3.5% in January and February of 2020. Plus, the Federal Reserve at their September meeting expected that the economy would grow by 5.9% this year, 
which is the fastest growth rate since 1984, and the Fed is expecting the economy to grow next year by 3.8%, which would be the fastest rate since 2004. Too many facts. So the normal economic indicators are showing a strong economy. So why is the majority sentiment across the country that the economy is not doing so well? Because people are whining. Quit your whining. Well, one thing is that it's more expensive to maintain the same lifestyle you did a year ago. What do I mean by that? Inflation. Oh boy, Xander, don't even start. I'm starting. Inflation is a hot topic right now, and for good reason. Last Wednesday, November 10th, the U.S. Labor Department reported that the Consumer Price Index rose 6.2% from a year ago, the highest that number has been since 1991. It was estimated to be 5.9% higher. So now you're asking yourself, what is the Consumer Price Index? Well, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, Quote, the Consumer Price Index, or CPI, is a measure of the average change over time in the prices paid by urban consumers for a market basket of consumer goods and services, unquote. Basically, it chooses a bunch of items we buy as consumers and looks at what they cost a year ago and what they cost now and the average percentage change. The average percentage change is the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. It's what we use to measure inflation. But looking deeper into the numbers, the CPI increased 0.9% over the last month, which was ahead of the estimate of 0.6%, and certain categories also drove the large increase, with fuel oil prices rising 12.3% for the month and 59.1% year over year. Used vehicle prices were up 26.4% for the year, while new vehicles were up 9.8%. Plus, food prices rose 5.3% for the year, while meat, poultry, fish, and egg prices were up 11.9%. So many items are more expensive than they were at this time a year ago, and they're up significantly, which is not that good. On the other hand, the previously mentioned jobs report reported that wages had increased 4.9% from a year ago, which on one hand is good as people are getting paid more, but it's also a leading indicator of inflation. Yet despite the significant wage increases, 4.9% is huge, the Labor Department said that real wages after inflation fell 0.5% from September to October, meaning that even as you might be getting paid more, your purchasing power actually decreased. Whoops. And inflation is a serious issue, and it's dragging Democrats in the polls right now because they're the ones in power. And we're going to get into if they are worthy of those low poll numbers. We're going to talk about that. But for now, because of the high inflation, the Federal Reserve is now expected to begin hiking interest rates as early as July of 2022. And this is expected along with the Fed winding down its bond buying program that was used to help prop the economy up during the heights of the pandemic. And the IRS also announced that higher federal income tax brackets for 2022 will be used because of the rising inflation. However, there is some potential light at the end of the tunnel. There are some economists who believe that inflation should slow down in the last two months of the year and that October's surge could be a peak. 
one key indicator being looked at is the Baltic Dry Index, BDI. What do you say? What's the BDI? I have no clue. It's basically a shipping and trade index, which is created by Baltic Exchange, which is based in London. And according to Investopedia, quote, it measures changes in the cost of transporting various raw materials, such as coal and steel, unquote. It is also used by economists as a leading indicator for inflation based on recent history. Back in December of 2020, the index began to climb from about 1,350 points to 2,000 by January, and two months later, the CPI, Consumer Price Index, rose to 2.6%, its highest level since 2018. It continued to rise until the BDI hit its peak on October 7th at 5,650 points. That is its highest level in over a decade. However, since that point, the BDI has continued to decline. It's dropped about 50% to about 2,800 points as of Friday, November 12th, as global shipping rates have actually declined. So it looks like we may have seen the worst of the inflation crisis at this point. It's not the full-on crisis that we were looking at back in the 1970s with all that stuff, but it's still causing significant increases in prices for consumers. However, there are other factors in the economy that may not be positive as well. Like, this is kind of a side-off, but if you haven't noticed, home prices are rising at historic levels and have been throughout the pandemic. And this is something that's been happening since before the pandemic, way before. Since 2011, median house prices rose by 30%, while median household incomes only rose by 11% on average. And since 1965, the difference is even worse because average home values since 1965 have increased by 118%, while incomes have only risen on average by 15.5%. It's a fact. So this has been going on for a while. However, the pandemic has exacerbated this trend, with home prices increasing significantly over the past two years, while average incomes have actually decreased since before the pandemic. Home prices rose year over year by 19.9% in October. So that could be great if you're going to sell your home, but it also means that you'll be paying more if you're trying to buy another home when you're selling, because you're selling, what are you going to do then? And it's also led to some wondering if the U.S. is entering another housing bubble. While many aren't concerned or don't believe that any bubble would actually burst in a similar fashion that led to the 2008 financial crisis, it's always something to pay attention to. But that's a whole nother topic that we could have a whole nother podcast on, so we can talk about that another day. Plus, the fact that homeownership is one of the key ways in which to significantly build wealth, it's making it harder for first-time home buyers and to close the generational wealth gap because not as many people are going to be able to buy homes now because they just keep increasing in price, while incomes are definitely not increasing at that rate. While that's not a major issue that's actually putting a strain on the economy right now, It's worth mentioning, but an issue that might be is the price of gas, which has also been significantly increasing over the past year. And everyone knows that Americans are obsessed with our cars. We are. And with that, gas prices. 
as of Monday of this week, the average price for a gallon of gas nationwide was $3.41 per gallon. Now, compared to a year ago, the average price per gallon was $2.12. So it has jumped almost a dollar. 30 cents. Ew. And as mentioned earlier, fuel oil prices rose 12.3% for the month and 59.1% year over year in the consumer price index. This is, of course, causing some anguish as Americans love to drive and many of us rely on our gasoline powered vehicles to get us through our day to day routines. And as is custom, many are blaming the current president for the rising gas prices. Now, does he deserve that blame? We'll get to that. But first, let's take a look at another factor in the economy, because as we've mentioned, wages have significantly increased as well. But there is a new movement across the country that has more people than ever quitting their jobs. So on Friday, the Labor Department announced that 4.4 million people, or 3% of workers, quit their jobs in September, which is a record high for a single month. And this is not people who were fired. This is people who left their job on their own. Now, before you start whining about people thinking they're entitled, let's look at why people are leaving their jobs in the first place. Because the biggest losses came from retail, health services, manufacturing, and leisure and hospitality sectors. Typically, these are low-wage jobs with little benefits that cannot be done remotely. So if you know anyone working in these industries, you know exactly why they're leaving. I mean, just take a look at internet forums such as the subreddit AntiWork, which is on Reddit, which you've probably heard about, because it's been increasing in popularity over the last couple of months. People are basically sick of making minimum or barely over minimum wage for jobs that have lousy working conditions little to no benefits, and in which they're basically treated as numbers instead of human beings. And with these workers being burnt out after the heights of the pandemic, many are simply choosing to just leave in search of better opportunities. This is also being called the Great Resignation. Bold move there. But even as the unemployment rate continues to decrease and the economy is adding jobs, millions of people are leaving their jobs in search of better ones. And it's also a tight market right now. As of September, there were seven unemployed workers for every 10 job openings, which is a record low. And this is allowing workers more freedom and choice in determining their next job, which means employers are increasing wages and benefits in order to compete for potential employees. But make no mistake about it, many of these people are not leaving the workforce. Pandemic unemployment benefits are gone. So that's not an excuse right now. They're still in the workforce. It's just their jobs suck and they want to get better ones because their jobs are taken away from their lives. A lot of people are unhappy. Now, of course, the argument will be that jobs like this at places such as McDonald's and Walmart are teenage low-wage jobs. But what happens during the day when teenagers are supposed to be at school and you want to go to McDonald's to get some lunch, but no one's there to work because apparently only teenagers are supposed to work at McDonald's and you get angry. Well, then you have to have adults working at McDonald's who don't go to school and other places. But these people have to live off of the income that they're making at McDonald's because that's their job. And they're not making much to live off of by working at places like McDonald's. Then they have to take on more than one job, which leads to burnout. And workers are finally sick of it. 
and demanding more. They're actually demanding living wages. Oh my gosh. Revolutionary, I know. Even making $15 an hour isn't going to be much to live off of as we see prices continue to increase in the U.S. So a lot of people are upset that workers at places such as McDonald's, like it's not just McDonald's, I just pick McDonald's. There's a ton of places, retail, fast food restaurants, you name it. A lot of people are upset that these workers are leaving their jobs and creating staffing shortages and are upset at the workers, when instead, you shouldn't be upset at the workers. You should be upset at the large corporations who are raking in billions of dollars in profit and they aren't even paying their workers living wages. Like President Biden, like he keeps saying this. Every single time I hear him speak, he always uses this phrase, a little breathing room. And people are like, Sleepy, how could you? Well, a little breathing room, people just want to live happily. And they want to live with decent wages. Because right now, a lot of people hate their jobs. And their jobs don't pay them much. So we have a lot of people who are working at these places who are living in poverty or living off food stamps, who aren't living very good lives. So people are realizing that living paycheck to paycheck with crappy jobs just sucks and that they want to live better lives. So is that really too much to ask? Apparently to some people, it is. But that doesn't sound very Christian of me. That doesn't sound very help thy neighbor to all you Christians out there. I'll just say that. Are you done? But anyways, what this is creating, I just went on that rant there. But what this is creating is potential staffing shortages as we come up on the holiday season. Consumer demand is currently skyrocketing, and this is creating what some are calling a traffic jam. Along with supply chain disruptions, this is causing a lot of worry for holiday shopping. And you may have heard of supply chains in the news recently because ports across the country, including the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach in Southern California, are clogged up. Imports are coming into the country's ports at record numbers due to increased consumer demand, mostly from increased online shopping during the pandemic. With high numbers of items coming in, there's little space at the ports, and cargo ships coming in from other countries are now backed up. And this is causing shipping delays, higher prices, and consumers not getting their holiday shopping items on time. And to get more info on this, because I kind of got this from a 60 Minutes segment that aired on Sunday, they went into full detail on this. So if you want more information on the supply chain issues, I would recommend going and watching that interview that aired on 60 Minutes on Sunday. So that's everything that's going on with the economy. But before we get into what we need to do about it, and who we should be blaming, we should also figure out why inflation is happening and why the price of gas is rising while there are also supply chain issues. Why is this happening? Then we might actually know what's going on. So first off, let's just lay it out there and say that inflation, the term, is not necessarily a bad thing. What are you talking about, Sandra? Inflation's terrible! Terrible. Just listen. Because when you don't have inflation, you either have stagnation or deflation. Now, the level of inflation we're experiencing is not good. That's cause for concern. But over the last 40 years or so, inflation has increased around 2% each year on average, which actually indicates a healthy 
economy, and we've had a healthy economy, usually, over the past 40 years. What the goal is, is to have inflation increase at a slow and steady rate, along with a similar increase in wages, so that consumers actually don't feel the increase as much. But now, because of larger-than-normal inflation that we're experiencing, consumers are worried that they won't be able to buy as much as they could just a few months ago. And that is cause for concern, because they actually can't. So what has caused this rapid increase in inflation? Well, you might think it was COVID and the pandemic. And if you thought that, you'd be right, you would a prize. Congratulations! Because, of course, it was the pandemic. When COVID first hit back in spring 2020, if you can remember back that far, Factories around the world were shutting down, people stopped traveling and going out for leisurely activities outside of the house, and millions of workers were laid off, with the unemployment rate increasing to nearly 15% by April of 2020. But a little bit after that, demands for consumer goods actually began to increase exponentially after we had all those stimulus packages, including the $1.9 trillion stimulus package, which was the third one passed. That one was passed by President Biden and the Democrats in March of 2021. So now, a bunch of people in America had money to spend and were shopping again. But because a bunch of businesses and factories had shut down, there were actually shortages on consumer goods and items that were needed to make those consumer goods, such as cars. So, as demand increased, supply was not able to increase at a similar rate. And in Economics 101, you learn that when demand increases, prices for the available supply will also tend to increase when supply is limited. However, now add in to that supply chain issues with production and shipping delays. So now prices are going to increase even more. And all of this has led to inflation rising at the high rate that it is now. And hopefully, of course, we're at the peak, but we will see. So take everything I just said. And when you're thinking about gasoline and fuel and gas for your car, apply it to that. Why do gas prices tend to increase? I don't know. Because when there's increasing demand for gasoline, more gasoline has to be purchased or extracted from somewhere, either the U.S. or Saudi Arabia or anywhere. And then gas prices tend to decrease because there's decreasing demand for gasoline. So not as much has to be used. Like in April of 2020, remember, when everyone was staying home, the average price for a gallon of gas in the U.S. was $1.94, which you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, you probably weren't going many places. So maybe that's why. In November of 2020, it was $2.20. Why was it so low? Maybe because everyone was staying in their homes, because there was a pandemic raging about with an administration that was incompetent at handling it. Sick burn! The demand for gasoline plummeted. And so did gas prices, because literally no one was going anywhere. So you were looking at it, and you were like, that's great, but how am I going to use it? Because I'm not going anywhere, because I'm staying at my home, because there's a raging pandemic, and I don't want to die. America! In fact, crude oil barrels were trading at around $15 per barrel in April 2020, which is super low. And at one point, for a few hours, their price was negative $40. So they were literally giving away barrels of oil and paying you $40 for taking 
the barrels of oil. Like, that's how low demand was. At that point, a bunch of oil wells actually shut down because no one was buying oil. So now, a bunch of those wells have not reopened, actually, due to costs or labor shortages or what have you. So life, normal life, is getting back to normal here in the U.S. and around the world. So demand is increasing significantly for oil and gasoline. But supply is not increasing along with demand. So that's causing gas prices to increase at the levels that they are currently. And if you don't believe me, the Federal Highway Administration said that in April of 2020, the number of vehicle miles traveled in the U.S. was $165 billion, which you're like, well, that's a lot. But in August of 2021, that number was $273 billion. So yeah, the pandemic is really the only reason to blame as to why inflation is increasing and why gas prices are also increasing. It's because everyone stopped. They stopped working. They went home. And now, not as many people are heading back into those jobs. But normal life is basically moving on like it was before the pandemic for some people now. So that's what we're seeing. It's really basic economics. So now we know why this is happening. This is true. So what should we do about it? And who should we blame? Because we gotta blame somebody whose fault is this. Well, of course, most of the blame is being handed to the president, Joe Biden, as it, you know, always is for economic issues. The blame was put on Bush when the 2008 financial crisis happened, which was relatively deserved because his economic policies were horrible, and he had been in office for eight years, and then you see an economic crash. Like, yeah. Of course, with a lot of economic positions that average voters hold, a bunch of them are woefully uninformed. Because as I just laid out to you, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Joe Biden who created the COVID-19 pandemic, and I'm pretty sure he has not magically pushed some button or pulled some lever to make inflation go up and gas prices increase. Like, I'm pretty sure he didn't do that. Basically, because people don't know the specifics behind why inflation's happening and why gas prices are increasing, they just blame the president because it's the easiest thing to do. Of course, that's lazy, and you don't want to be dumb and lazy, because on this podcast, we actually know what's going on, so we know who to blame and who not to blame. That's a fact! So on Sunday, on Weekend Edition on NPR, NPR took a look at what the president can actually do about rising inflation and gas prices, and concluded, can't do very much. Oil prices would lower if the supply of oil would increase, but the U.S. president does not and has never had control over the global supply of crude oil. It really isn't possible for the U.S. government to ever help alleviate rising gas prices. However, the administration can ask members of OPEC, which is the organization that has direct influence over oil production in countries such as Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela, to pump more oil. And that's what the Biden administration did. And guess what this country said? No. Too bad. So other ideas to lower prices wouldn't really work either, such as banning crude oil exports that would then get the U.S. in a fight with OPEC, which would be bad. However, if we released oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is a stockpile of oil that the U.S. government stores underground, that could help, but that oil must be converted into gasoline, and that, of course, would take time, 
and that also has to be authorized by Congress. So that's getting into a whole nother thing. Of course, one thing we could do as normal American citizens or people living in America is not rely on foreign oil for our everyday needs. Like, it's kind of crazy how we rely on countries like Iraq, Iran, and Saudi Arabia to supply us with oil that we need to power our cars that we use every day. Like, if you think about that, that's kind of insane. Because we're not on the best terms with those countries, and those countries aren't doing the best things humanitarian-wise. So that's kind of crazy to think about. And one idea would, of course, be not driving as much. But that, of course, is impractical for almost everyone. So another idea is not using foreign oil for your cars. How do you do that? Well, you could get an electric vehicle, which actually leads us into what we're going to talk about next week. So stay tuned, because Thanksgiving week, we're going to talk about electric vehicles. Tell me, tell me! But staying on this week's topic, honestly, it's not like we're having a major gas price crisis right now. Average gas prices are less than they were back in 2013 and 2014, and certainly less than they were in the summer of 2008, when the average price for a gallon of gas in the U.S. was over $4. Like, that's not just California, which has always had high gas prices. On the East Coast, $4 per gallon gas prices. But to be honest, we here in the U.S. actually have it kind of lucky compared to countries over in Europe. Like in the UK, the average price for a gallon of gas right now is $7.46. In Germany, it's $7.24. Now, of course, this is also due to a lot of factors, like driving is less common in Europe, and of course, that's a lot due to their population being a lot more compact, and gas is heavily taxed there. But it looks like we're getting a bargain here in the US. Plus, If you're going to complain about gas prices so much, but you have a vehicle that gets 10 miles a gallon, maybe you should get a more fuel-efficient vehicle. Like, if you own a pickup truck and you're whining about gas prices, maybe you shouldn't have wasted $50,000 on a pickup truck that gets 5 or 10 miles a gallon. Stinger. Like, huh? Maybe you should have gotten a more fuel-efficient vehicle. Like, that blows my mind. People are going to get whiny about that, and then they're like, well... Maybe you should have gotten a car that gets more miles per gallon. Like, seriously. So, that's gas prices. But now with inflation, the president also does not have many actions he can take to legitimately fix the issue. Since, once again, this is a crisis that is spanning the globe and is somewhat out of his control. But what the president is doing is increasing construction at those coastal ports that we talked about a, a little bit ago by bringing out the Army Corps of Engineers to help alleviate the supply chain shortages that we just discussed. And that's also part of the infrastructure bill that's also lost. If you're whining about the infrastructure bill, it's actually going to help us get rid of inflation. So maybe you should stop whining now, because it is actually a law now. Now, prices are still expected to rise well into next year. However, if wages can also continue to increase, that can help alleviate the burden of higher prices, which we are expecting. And the Fed's expected interest rate increases next year will also help to ease inflation, since price increases usually tend to subside when money becomes more expensive to borrow, which it might starting in the summer of next year. 
So, in overview. Thanks goodness that's over. Big inflation is happening, which is not good. Gas prices are also going up, which is not good for people who drive gasoline-powered cars, which is a vast, 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 vast majority of Americans. Of course, blame the president, and people who know what they're talking about will think you're stupid. Because he has, once again, as I just said, little control over gas prices and inflation. Of course, if he was president during the pandemic, when it started and led to the incompetence that occurred at the beginning, I might blame him. But I'm pretty sure Joe Biden wasn't the president who let COVID spread out of control and did basically nothing after he, his administration literally threw out the playbook for how to deal with pandemics that was prepared under the Obama administration. That was actually a different president. And I think you know his name. Ugh. So, yeah. If you want to actually sound informed, maybe you should stop blaming people who have literally almost no control over the situation and are actually trying to alleviate the mess that was caused by a previous administration, as we are seeing with several different things right now. So, that's what I've got for the economy, inflation, gas prices. Everyone came into this, you were listening, you were like, I have no idea what's going on. Now you have exactly an idea what's going on, and you're gonna stop yelling, let's go Brandon, because that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So, that's what we've got this week for Xander's Facts, episode 41. Thank you all for listening, and remember, if you liked all the facts that are on this podcast, if you want to support the Xander's Facts podcast, it's the truth. Then remember to click that follow or subscribe button on your podcast app, website, whatever. Click the download button on this episode, rate the podcast, review the podcast, go on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and go like every Xander's Facts thing you see. That's Xander with a Z. And then go tell all your friends Xander's Facts podcast. And most importantly, because next week is Thanksgiving, remember, when you're at the Thanksgiving dinner table and you're asked what you're thankful for, say Xander's Facts for teaching me all these facts over the last 41 episodes. I hope people actually do that. Please do that. And remember, if you want to check out even more Xander's Facts links all over that stuff, check out the link tree, Xander's Facts link tree that is linked on this episode's description, along with the link to go look at football predictions, which are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram all this week. So that's episode 41. But next week, Sanders Facts is not taking a week off for Thanksgiving, people. Next week, as I alluded to earlier, we've got episode 42. And to celebrate Thanksgiving, we are going to talk about solar energy, electric cars, green future. Oh, yeah, because the infrastructure bill just passed. It included Lots of money for electric vehicles, solar, wind, all that stuff. Because we're trying to build a green future. Plus, we just had the COP, the COP26 summit over in Europe, which if you don't even know what that is, you keep hearing about it, you're like, what is that? Well, I'm going to talk about that too next week. So we're going to talk all green stuff next week on this podcast. But for episode 41, that's it. That is a wrap on episode 41 of the Xander's Facts podcast. So thank you all for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 42 next week.
Need some ice for that sick burn.